Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney. My co-host, Kristen Padilla, is out sick today. Today in the studio, we have a special guest who's on campus this week for our annual World Christianity Focus Week. Each fall, we host a Go Global Missions Emphasis Week, during which we shine a light on missions and encourage our community to share the gospel with others, both at home and abroad. And each spring, we host a World Christianity Focus Week, during which we shine a light on some of the things that God is doing in other parts of the world, both evangelistic and other, and encourage our community to take part in them. We are grateful to the excellent staff of Beeson's Global Center for organizing both of these special weeks on Beeson's campus. Speaking of our Global Center, if you or someone you know is discerning a call to missions, you ought to look our way. We offer a Master of Divinity degree with a mission certificate for students preparing to serve the Lord cross-culturally, This mission certificate program is run by Dr. David Parks, who leads our Global Center. It provides all kinds of educational opportunities for those involved in missions, from cross-cultural ministry internships, or practica, as we call them here, to an international lunch club, to Global Voices presentations from all kinds of missionaries, to our annual Emphasis Weeks. Find out more at BeesonDivinity.com slash Global Center. Our guest today is Dr. Enoch Wan, who is Research Professor of Intercultural Studies and Director of the Doctor of Intercultural Studies Program and the Doctor of Education Program at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He is the founder and editor of a multilingual e-journal called Global Missiology and is a past president of the Evangelical Missiological Society. Dr. Wan is a board member of the Worldwide Bible Society and Tiendao Christian Media Association, and is the author or the co-author of more than 15 books on the subject of missions. Dr. Wan, thank you very much for being with us today. I'd like to begin by asking you to share with us your testimony just a little bit. Would you tell our listeners where you grew up and how you came to know the Lord Jesus? I was born in South China and grew up in Hong Kong. My father came to know uh, the Lord through the ministry of American missionary in China. Um, as a result, we grew up uh, very much uh, into ministry. My father was the forerunner of uh, training uh, factory workers for uh, evangelism. Um, of the seven brothers and sisters, the siblings, uh, we have five in the ministry, and all of them retired except the youngest, number seven, is serving as a missionary using his PhD from Germany uh, in education. Uh, I'm still active. Um, my name is both in Chinese and English, Enoch, because it was given by my father to encourage me to walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So um, my personal conversion, genuine, 
uh, faith uh, came the last year of high school through the ministry of um, fellow Christian who happened to be a minion dispensationalist. And um, I went on for further studies uh, to train for mission and eventually was able to go to the Philippines and Australia. Yeah, and I introduced you at the top of the show as a professor, a missiologist, and we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. But you're also a missionary, and you served in a couple of different countries, as you say, the Philippines and Australia. Uh, why did you become a missionary, and why should our listeners uh, be supporters of missionaries? As a young kid, I was very curious about people from other countries with different cultural background. Uh, with that fascination, uh, I began to read more, in particular missionary biographies, and uh, my people serving the Lord, uh, lifetime commitment. Uh, so uh, when I was young, I felt that I was called to go to Vietnam, but the Lord uh, closed the door every time. When I was about to finish seminary, there was the fall of uh, Vietnam, 1974. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was about to uh, again go to Indonesia and uh, things didn't work out because of political situation and my immigration paper, so I went on to do church planting on Long Island, New York and uh, in the 70s uh, and so on. And you're also a missiologist, and of course, many of our listeners know what that means, but probably not all of them know what missiology is. Uh, Would you let us know what's missiology and why have you devoted so much of your life to missiological educational work? Uh, By training, uh, I'm an anthropologist. I have a PhD in anthropology from State University of New York. I did my dissertation. Uh, on New York Chinatown as an ethnographic study of uh, immigrant community. Uh, To my understanding, uh, mission is the practical application of anthropological insights and research uh, methodology uh, for gospel outreach and church planting. the Lord had instructed us to pray for the Lord to the Lord of Harvest for sending out laborers. And what I think I have been doing uh, since 1978, uh, on and off with church planting in New York and in Toronto, uh, pastoral ministry in the Richmond, BC, Western Canada, but most of the time in theological education. Basically, it's not only just praying the Lord of Harvest to send forth workers. I want to participate in the process in the preparation of kingdom laborers. So before they go to the mission field, they are to learn about uh, cultural differences, linguistic signs so that they are equipped to acquire a second language and uh, complexity of intercultural communication, things like that. So um, that's why uh, missiological training is important before they make all the mistakes uh, on the mission field. We also teach student mission history so they 
they could learn from history the uh, the success and the failure of past efforts uh, in mission outreach. Um, so that's my conviction about why I should be involved in training and equipping kingdom laborers before they go out to the mission field. Yes, and we mentioned you also founded a journal on missiology, Global Missiology. Who is that journal for, and, and what does it do? Uh, about 20 years ago, the uh, chairman of uh, the missions department at Calvin Seminary and the dean uh, of Fuller Seminary, uh, they encouraged me to start a journal uh, electronically because the traditional journal would require a mailing address and a subscription, and many missionaries move around and some of them in at locations that uh, mailing would be problematic. And when they uh, move because of furlough, because of redeployment, so uh, receiving traditional uh, journal is difficult. And uh, a subscription might also cost them money. So uh, I was uh, encouraged to start this journal with $50 from the press, uh, the, the chairman, department chair of Kelvin to start this journal. So uh, I don't have any foundation or any funding behind it. Uh, I pray and the Lord would send forth uh, volunteers to help with uh, different things. For example, the Chinese version we have simplified and full script. So converting from one to another version would be difficult and uploading things would be difficult uh, as well. Uh, but there are a lot of advantages of electronic journal. Uh, it's free, it's accessible anywhere. Your people have uh, access to the internet. And um, you, it's not like the print journal. You don't have limitation of words and uh, length. And you could also post video and uh, uh, instruction, uh, things like that. Uh, at the site that people could use. Um, so we started with English, but then m many of our fellow workers uh, who were Chinese and complained that, uh, how come you have an English journal, but you don't have a Chinese journal for us? But I didn't know how to type Chinese. Uh, it's very complicated. Uh, so after a few months of praying, the Lord sent me uh, volunteers to help um, uh, typing and layout and uploading and two kinds of script, uh, full script and simplified script. So um, it's a ministry uh, to missionaries, uh, free subscription, accessible anywhere, no limitation of length and format of uh, presentation. So. Uh, I found that very encouraging. And since my workload uh, had increased, so two years ago, I turned the English uh, Journal to a new editor, Dr. Nelson Jennings. I still keep the Chinese one. I had others uh, doing the French and Spanish version, which I don't have the language skill. Um, so that's the multilingual journal. That sounds wonderful. Sounds like a lot of work, but a marvelous use of technology. 
Now, one of the many books, Dr. Juan, that you have done that we have uh, highlighted this week is your book, Relational Missionary Training, Theology, Theory, and Practice, uh, published in 2017. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about that book and its significance? What is relational missions? What's the significance of that emphasis? Uh, simply put, um, I taught uh, missiological courses for many years and found the popular way of doing mission uh, in the West had been very programmatic, performance-oriented, outcome-based. Uh, so uh, our Christian faith had been deprived of the relational touch. Um, according to Ephesians 1, uh, God the Father had chosen us in the Son uh, that we are to be holy uh, and so on. So our God is such a relational God. His love for us transcends time and space. So uh, we found that uh, in Jeremiah talking about before being formed in the mother's womb or being born, and Jeremiah was called and chosen and appointed uh, to be uh, the prophet for God. So uh, I went back to the study of the Trinity and spent three years on it and realized that the Trinity, doctrine of Trinity is primarily relational, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And from there, I began to study uh, Christian doctrine from uh, redemption to uh, sanctification to glorification. Everything had a very personal touch. And therefore, I want to rediscover the relational aspect of our Christian God, our Christian faith, and our Christian practice in uh, outreach in evangelism and mission. Uh, so uh, I published a book uh, on diaspora missiology where I spent a whole chapter critiquing the popular programmatic managerial approach. I am not the only one with that kind of critique. Uh, the Ifugo uh, Declaration in South America uh, where you had the gathering of Asian and Latino missiologists, they all had the same sentiment. So uh, I want to insist that we believe in a relational trying God. Our Christian faith is supposed to be relational, both in essence and in practice. And in our Christian mission outreach should be relational. Uh, for example, friendship evangelism should not be a, a, an, an end, uh, a means to an end, but rather uh, you, we should have genuine friendship, uh, just like God's way of dealing with people like Apostle Peter. He spent a lot of time personally mentoring him uh, through uh, different situations, including his denial and his restoration in the last chapter of John and so on. Um, so I taught one student, and he was very promising. 
Uh, he was a seasoned missionary in South America, and I worked with him for several years and published a book, Relational Missionary Training, as an alternative to the popular programmatic, performance-oriented, outcome-based type of uh, training program. Uh, so that's the essence of why I think uh, our God is a relational triune God. Our faith should be a relational one in terms of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us individually and also in the church uh, institutionally, organizationally. And therefore, uh, everything had to go back to the relational aspect of it. That seems to me to be a crucial insight, particularly in the West these days. I'm thinking about listeners who may be leaders at missions boards or missions pastors at big churches who think uh, almost inevitably about programs and budgets and outcomes and that kind of thing. Do you have a word for them about how to make uh, good use of your emphasis on relational missions? Is it possible to be an administrative uh, missionary who thinks programmatically and in terms of outcomes and be relational at the same time? Or, or what word uh, do you have for them? Well, a uh, programmatic approach is very pragmatic and functional, which has its place. Uh, for example, if I drive my car, my car should be running. Uh, I buy a, a watch, the watch should be running uh, efficiently so that uh, I could save gas and, and so on. Uh, so there's a place for it. But unfortunately, if we are so obsessed with the performance and the program, we forget the reason and the motive behind it is relational. That is uh, giving up the primary, the essential for the secondary, which is very sad. Uh, so uh, I spent many years researching, teaching, publishing on relational approach. Uh, and yet I'm a seminary professor, I'm editor of a journal, I serve as president of EMS. I had to produce, I had to perform, but I have to check myself all the time why I'm doing it. Is it relationally motivated with my vertical connection with God? in touch of his heart, uh, by the guidance of the spirit, uh, relationally, so that uh, whatever I do will be natural outflowed of that kind of vertical anchoring with God. Uh, so I do perform, and I like performance, but I have to check myself why I'm doing it. Is, am I competing with another organization, another denomination, and therefore I feel good because of my performance and my success? Do I value the, 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 the praise of men because of my performance, or do I value uh, God's uh, judgment on me? Faithfulness should be first, and then fruitfulness. Character should be foundational, and then the career. Personhood should be primary, and then the performance. And you could go down the list. So there's the priority of relation, 
but also there's the necessary outcome of the performance. So the two are not to be separated, but they have to be lined up according to the priority, and that's the difference. Dr. Wan, the reason we are blessed by your presence this week is that you're here on campus for our World Christianity Focus Week. And one of the themes that we've been discussing with you on campus here this week is the theme of diaspora mission. Uh, you spoke in chapel yesterday about diaspora mission in action from refugee to kingdom laborer. And uh, I want our listeners to, to benefit a little bit from this as well. Can you tell them about the diaspora mission emphasis uh, and how they might get involved with it? The phenomenon of people being scattered from the homeland overseas or elsewhere have been historically true of the Jewish people in the Old Testament and the early church during the time of persecution after the martyrdom of uh, Stephen in Acts 8. So people being scattered because of war and famine and study and immigration and so on, but at a fastest pace, larger scale, more extensive happened in the last recent few decades. Um, before I was invited to Beeson about a year ago, and now uh, because of COVID, it, was, uh, it, it didn't happen. And now I come uh, for real this time. And in between the invitation and now, you had uh, the event uh, happen in Afghanistan, and as a result, six million people uh, left the country uh, for neighboring countries. And currently now you have four million uh, Ukrainian uh, leaving the country as well. So diaspora is, is an ongoing thing. Anytime in the world you have people moving around, but it didn't happen just accidentally because their boundary and their time of their location, according to Acts 17, had been within the guidance and the supervision of the, his, the lot of history. So uh, because of the movement of people in a new area, in a new environment, they were receptive to changes, and in the process, they would be most uh, receptive to the invitation uh, to consider the gospel. So uh, the movement of people had been chaotic and critical, but also in terms of uh, global evangelism is also providential. So I, as an anthropologist, study demographic trend and then want to utilize that kind of uh, understanding of movement of people uh, for kingdom purpose. And therefore we develop research and publish things uh, on this matter and propose methodology and how to do it. And 16% of the world's population uh, is found in the G7 countries. And the movement of people, uh, one third of them in globally, uh, is found in the seven countries. So as a result, we have a lot of people from overseas moving to our neighborhood, whether they be refugees or immigrants or international students. So we have to see the reality that they are wrong. We have to take hold of the opportunity to reach them at the time when they are receptive to changes. So we 
practice the great commandment of loving our neighbors, offering our help in their time of needs, and develop the relationship, then we could engage in evangelism. And that's what the asthma physiology is all about. Mm-hmm. I'm running low on time, but I want to introduce our listeners to one more new concept that you gave us today in a wonderful lecture that I attended. The, the title of today's lecture with the students was Glocal, God's Mission in the 21st Century. Help our listeners understand what the word glocal means and how it should shape the way we think about participating in God's work in the world. Uh, during the lecture, I explained about uh, the major companies, uh, international company engaging in the business like McDonald and uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I use uh, examples in China, and you have Mac Rice and Mac Noodle, and you have Dragon Twister. Uh, all those have been offered by McDonald and KFC. So when they are in China, they don't sell just fried chicken or uh, uh, hamburger, uh, but they tailor made to the local uh, people's taste and uh, sensitive to the market, and that is called localization. But they are international companies, so they have a global uh, enterprise. So when you take the first part of the word globalization and the first part of the word localization and combine them together, and you form a new word called globalization. And this was a business practice for a long time for several decades. And we have a parallel situation in the Christian circle in terms of uh, mission outreach. You should be traveling overseas to engage in cross-cultural mission. When you're local, you're doing evangelism. But now God is sending people from other countries into our neighborhood, and therefore we should reach the people in a neighborhood that God sent in send our way to be part of what we talk about, Great Commission and worldwide evangelism. So I use the example of Acts 7 of uh, the conversion of Paul uh, because of the ministry of Ananias in obedience to the vision. Uh, He was given a simple task, a local mission of looking up Saul, laying hand on him, help him to see. And uh, out of his obedience, even though it was illogical, is unreasonable, and he did it. Uh, so his local mission of finding out Saul from Tarsus, he being a resident of Damascus, a major city in Syria, 200 miles north of Jerusalem. But that simple local mission of finding Saul, laying hand on him and praying for him, restore his sight, had global impact in the life of Apostle Paul. So in Acts 22, he recounted that incident and mentioned about Ananias as well. Otherwise, you only found find Ananias mentioned once in Acts 7. So the performance of a local mission, like identifying Saul, laying hand on him, had global impact. The same way when we engage in local action, 
like reaching scientists in Huntsville or reaching international students on campus near your neighborhood. Uh, we might be engaging in local mission, but it had global impact because the international student returned home, they became church planter, they became uh, uh, um, influential political leaders, lawyers uh, in their own area. It's just like Daniel and his three friends. Uh, they were refugees, they were being captured, and they were forced to uh, pick up a Babylonian name and so on, and eventually they became very influential figures in the Babylonian Empire. So that's what we call global mission. And you could do that here in uh, Alabama. Uh, right at the middle of the Bible Belt, you have a black belt. Uh, where you have uh, a very unique situation and you re-engage them and it might have global impact. Well, what a great set of emphases you brought to our community this week. Thank you very much. Uh, missions go from everywhere to everywhere, as we say these days. God wants us to be missionaries right where we are and everywhere we go. And, and you've underscored that in a marvelous way with us this week. Uh, Dr. Wan, we began the interview on a personal note, just asking you about your past and your testimony and so on. And we'd like to end on a personal note as well. Uh, we conclude our interviews always by asking guests uh, what the Lord is doing in their lives these days, what God is teaching you now uh, that you might share with our listeners by way of um, sort of concluding on an edify edifying note for them. Uh, so what is, what's God teaching you these days? Well, I just came from a class where students asked about uh, my friends who are now with the Lord, uh, David Hazelgrave, uh, Ralph Winter, Paul Hebert, uh, uh, all those people. Recently, uh, many of my friends are, are gone. I will be turning 75 uh, soon. And I want to start well and end well. So faithfulness is a challenge. And uh, I'm grateful the Lord has given me good health. Uh, I go swimming every day uh, before COVID. After COVID, I walk with my wife one hour every day to keep in good shape physically, mentally. And I'm uh, still full-time and doing research and doing publication. And because of COVID, I was able to finish a lot of book projects that had been uh, delayed for a long time. Uh, there were about half a dozen books uh, finished uh, during this uh, two years. So I want to continue uh, research, publication, and teaching. And Lord willing, I would like to uh, be faithful. That, that's what is, is on my heart, is to be faithful to the end. A good word for all of us. You have been listening to Dr. Enoch Wan. He is Research Professor of Intercultural Studies and Director of the Doctor of Intercultural Studies and Doctor of Education Programs at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, Dr. Wan, for being with us today and all week long. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we're praying for you. We ask the Lord to bless you, and we say goodbye for now. listening to the Beeson Podcast. 
Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.